Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Just as God lifted Noah and his family from the wrath that he was pouring out on the world. I believe that you and I will be lifted up if we know Christ as our Savior. I believe that there will come a time when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with the Lord forever. I believe that with all of my heart. When is that going to happen? That can happen anytime, and we don't need any more signs for that. The state of our world is pretty bad. Darkness has taken hold, and if we look at current events and historical context, it's not hard to find the alignment with the end times prophecy found in Scripture. For some, this brings fear and anxiety. But as Pastor David encourages us in today's message, as believers, we have nothing to fear. Things will get worse, and this world may bring harm to our flesh, but we have a greater hope of eternal communion with our Savior. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Darkness Loses. Our great God will come in judgment over the darkness and over the wickedness of this world. And for those who honor and reverence his name, for those that have come by faith to realize their great need for forgiveness of sin, for those that have surrendered their lives into his hands, for those who now have a great Savior who's provided this covering and this protection by his blood, just like Noah, I believe that we'll be lifted up and we'll be protected from the wrath of God when that wrath comes. That leads to the great question, though, doesn't it? So when's that going to happen? How long do we go through this? Well, that's the exact question the disciples asked back in, yeah, Luke 21, okay? (laughs) When, Lord, when shall these things be? And you know you're in trouble when most of the time is already gone and the guy just finishes his introduction, okay? You know you're in trouble. But as I shared last time we were here last week, spoke about this dialogue that Jesus is having. He's about to have it with his disciples, and it's given to us both here, uh, Luke 21, Matthew 24 and 25, and in Mark 13. And from... You need to understand for for the disciples, good Jews, men who had grown up from childhood as, as good Jews, from their own study of the word, they understood that there was going to be a coming judgment. They had read the very same verses you and I just read, as well as as a multitude of others in the Old Testament that speak about the coming judgment of the wicked. They understood that there was going to be coming judgment. At least they understood it in part. 
they also understood that when Messiah comes, he was going to set all things in order. Well, at least they thought they understood it. They just didn't understand it in the fullness and the completeness of really what Jesus was all about and what all that he was going to do. They knew that there would be a time when the unrighteous would be punished and the righteous would be rewarded, but they just weren't sure of when that was all going to happen. So here in Luke 21, beginning in verse 7, we find actually an abbreviated version of their question. Luke 21, verse 7. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? I said an abbreviated version of the question because actually we see the the, the full question uh, in in Matthew's gospel record. But also from Mark we find out that it's a particular group of his disciples, four of them, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, that they kind of pull Jesus away privately and ask him this question. And in Matthew chapter 24 we read the, the fullness of the question. Matthew 24 verse 3 says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately, those four disciples that Mark tells us, privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Well, we can quickly, we can pretty clearly understand and see there's actually three questions that are going on here. Maybe for the disciples, they thought that it would all mesh together. Remember, he had just spoken about the temple and the destruction of the temple. Now they're also wondering, man, when are you coming again? When's the end of the age? They're thinking that, man, if the temple's going to be destroyed, that's got to be the end of the age. It's got to be all over if the temple is destroyed. Their first question, when will these things be? That dealt specifically with what he had spoke to them, and we looked at it last week. That there, that the beauty of that temple, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. All of it's going to be torn down. The disciples wanted to know, when will that be? The second question dealt specifically with the timing of his coming. How would they know? They says, what's going to be the sign of your coming? We want to be prepared, ready for it before you get here. Yeah, wouldn't we all? Yeah, yeah. Hey, give me a time and date and I'll straighten out my life and that'll at least give me 24 hours to confess everything and, and get my life squared around. The, the final question, the third question, uh, dealt with the end of all things. What's going to be the sign of the end of the age? Back here in Luke, we find the portion of his answer to the first question dealing with the destruction of the temple. But before we get into that answer, it's here. I need to kind of help clarify some things in a very quick manner here. Some things that, again, you need to understand uh, the direction and the purpose of the prophetic message. And now you need to understand when you look at prophetic messages, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, in order to get the fullness of what that message is, there's always some things that you cannot simply read face value with prophecies. The prophecies are there, but you can't just read it and take it face value. There's some things that need to take place. Number one, you need to understand the circumstances that surround that pronouncement. Has there been vast wickedness in the country? The prophet comes. 
and he speaks a word. Is there an attack from the enemy that's going to come? The prophet comes and he speaks a word of encouragement. Is there personal sin within a king or a leader's life? And the prophet comes. What are the circumstances that are surrounding? Are they in a captivity right now up in Babylon and the prophet comes and speaks to them? Or have they returned from captivity and now the prophet speaks to them? So again, understanding the circumstances of the prophecy. The second thing, who is the message given to? Is it given to the Jews? Is it given to the leadership? Is it given to uh, a, a wicked nation? Is it given to uh, who, uh, who is the prophecy given to? An individual, a nation, a nation in particular, or in a general way, the people of God. Beloved, understand that some of the prophecies of the Old Testament dealt only with Israel. Not with the church, but only with Israel. You need to understand that. And then third, look at the time factor involved. The time factor. You need to realize, too, that some prophecies, man, they're going to take place really quick. Hey, if you don't, if you don't straighten up, man, they're, they're out here right now. They're laying siege against you right now, and they will win. Hey, if you don't straighten up, you're not going to rise up from this deathbed you're in. Hey, if, if, if things don't start happening in your life or in your society, it's going to crumble. It's going to cease to be. So again, what is the time factor? And one of the things that we know about prophecy, many times there is a twofold answer to prophecy. There is an immediate answer to the ones that are being spoken of, and then there is a later answer that is a much more fulfilled answer. It's like if we were to look at the mountains, if I look toward the west here, I see some mountains there, and that's the only mountains that I see. But the further I get closer to those mountains, suddenly I see that there's other mountains beyond that, and other mountains beyond that. And sometimes prophecy is that very way. We see an immediate response, but there's also a further response. So as we look into Jesus's response, let's remember a couple of things. Number one, what religion was Jesus taught in and grew up in? Judaism. So Jesus was what religion, church? A Jew. Nobody answered Christian, right? Okay, good. Because he wasn't a Christian. Jesus was a Jew. You need to understand that. And who was the audience that he was speaking to? A Jewish audience. Second thing we need to do is Luke here, in the writing of Luke, Luke actually writes to a Gentile audience. Because of this, much of what would affect the nation of the Jews is actually left out of his account, but we find it in Matthew's account. That's why we have the fullness of all the Word of God. What the, some of the differences that we find between Luke's writings and Matthew and Mark's writings deal specifically with issues that dealt with the Jews themselves. Thirdly, because Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience, what Jesus tells the disciples in this prophetic message deals most directly with the Jews, with Jerusalem, with the temple, and the nation of Israel. Don't forget that as we get further and further into this prophetic message. I'll remind you as we go. And fourthly, although we find references throughout the Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, there is actually nothing in this prophetic message, Matthew 24, 25, Mark 13, or Luke 21, nothing in any of those prophetic messages that deals directly and in reference to the church. This is a Jewish message to Jewish people. 
Don't get stumbled up on that. We're going to look at these a little bit later as we get into the study. Fifthly, as Jesus speaks directly about the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem, there's actually what I spoke before. There is a twofold fulfillment. When was the temple destroyed? Well, it was destroyed back in 586 by uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and the Babylonians as they came down. Uh, it was destroyed then just shortly after Jesus speaks here, 40 years later, by the Romans as Titus comes in. But you know what? When Jesus is speaking of the temple being torn down, I believe that he's speaking of the one in 70 AD, but I believe he's also speaking of the one at the end of the age. Did you know that there's going to be another temple built? The problem is a lot of commentators and, and even a lot of preachers today, they, they don't believe that because they, they've, they've been raised, they've been taught and trained from Bible study leaders and, and commentators and, and, and professors of the past who spoke and taught and trained people prior to 1948. You see, prior to 1948, there was no Israel. So a lot of the prophecies that we read in the Old Testament, and yes, even in the New, that deal with the Jews and with the temple and the events of Jews, they, they, they cut them off. They say, sorry, in 70 AD, the, the Jews were done with. There, there, there's no more issue with the Jews. And yet Paul tells us in Romans chapter 9 and on from there, hey, God's not finished with the Jews yet. And the inclusion of the nation of Israel and a rebuilding of the temple has to take place for all of the events in the book of Revelation to take place. But you see, those that were trained and taught from understandings and commentaries that were written prior to 1948, they thought that that's all allegory or it's, it's already taken place. There's a group called Preterists and they look at the book of Revelation and they say, no, that's all done. It's all done. There's, there's nothing. That's not a future book. That's a past book. And so all that we read there are allegories and illustrations of stuff that's already gone on. There, there, there's a group among believers today that, that believe in what's called the replacement theology. Replacement theology is God is done with Israel. And so now the church is the new Israel. No, you're not. You're the church. And you know what? Israel is still Israel. And the unfortunate thing is Israel is still lost. Israel still needs to come to Messiah. And you are going to see that happening again. The book of Revelation speaks again of this revival that takes place in the nation of Israel in those last days. All of that to say, it can be confusing. You've got to know what's going on when you look at a prophetic message. When is this going to take place? What sign are you going to give? Jesus' response, again, didn't immediately give them any kind of a time frame. Both here in Luke as well as in Matthew, Jesus he warns the disciples, beware of false Christ. Look what he says in verse 8. And he said, take heed that you do not be deceived. Lord, when are you coming back again? Hey, be careful, don't be deceived. What does he say? Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. It's absolutely amazing to me. It doesn't take a very deep study to go online and look for uh, uh, these primary uh, folks who have claimed to be Messiah through the, through the centuries. 
Uh, again, generation after generation, these new messiahs come. Sometimes they come from Eastern mysticism. Sometimes they come from quote-unquote Christianity. Sometimes they come from all kinds of uh, various and sort of things. As a matter of fact, there was at least two women through the years that, that were pregnant that they said, no, we are bearing the second coming of Christ right here. They, they don't read the scriptures. They don't understand. No, he's coming in the clouds next time. He's not coming as a baby in a manger in some nondescript uh, stable in some nondescript little town someplace. No, he's coming in a way that every eye is going to see. Every, everyone will understand. No, that is the Christ. That is Messiah. There's not going to be a doubt in anyone's mind. We find scripture after scripture of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus himself tells them that the Son of Man is going to come in the clouds of heaven. In Revelation, we read there that he's coming with the clouds and every eye is going to see him. In Acts, the first chapter, we read after Jesus' resurrection and he begins to ascend back up to the Father and the disciples are standing there with their mouths wide open and just uh, amazed as he goes up into the clouds. And they stand there apparently for a while because a couple of angels come by and they look at these guys and say, hey, you men of Galilee, why are you standing there gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that went up you know, into these clouds, he's going to come again just like that. So again, that reaffirmation, no, he's coming in the clouds. That's why Jesus is warning his disciples, man, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. You won't need anyone to tell you, hey, Jesus just returned. He's in New Jersey. (laughs) There's one thing I can guarantee you, he ain't going to New Jersey. (laughs) Nothing against New Jersey, but the word of God says he's going to first appear in Jerusalem. But everyone's going to know it. Everyone's going to know it. How that's going to happen? That's not my job. That's above my pay grade, okay? (laughs) All I do know is every eye will see. Both Luke and Matthew, Jesus seems to kind of jump a bit as far as the chronology of the events, but follow with me just for a quick moment here. In Luke 21, 9 through 11, right after warning them about not being deceived, Jesus speaks of some really bad things happening on a worldwide scene. He gives this warning as an overview of all that's continuing to take place in the world. He says in verse 9, when you hear of wars and commotions, Matthew says wars and rumors of wars. He says, don't be terrified for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. I want to tell you this morning that wars, commotions, and rumors of wars, earthquakes, violence, uh, pestilence are not the sign of his coming. They're not. How long have we had wars, folks? Since Cain and Abel were here. And then people group after people group after people group. How long have we had pestilences and and famines? As long as there's been people on the earth, these kinds of things. Why? Because we live in a fallen creation. These things happen. The earth groans, waiting for the end of all things. We see the earthquakes. We see all of these things happening. Fortunately, they are a part of the fallen world. And Jesus says, hey, don't worry about these. All of these things are going to happen. They're going to be happening first. They'll happen before I come. And then in Matthew, he actually tells him, these are just the beginnings of sorrows. 
We, we think that it's horrendous when a 6.5 or a 7.0 earthquake hits and you know dozens and dozens of people and millions if not billions of dollars are lost in a physical scale or, or in property damage. But beloved, when the end of time comes and the wrath of God is poured out on all nations around the world, shoo, a 7.0, that's nothing. A few dozen or a hundred people's lives lost, that's can't even be compared. What, what does the Word of God say in the book of Revelation? A third of the people perish at one point. That's, that's severe. That's why I say, no, no, all this stuff's going to be happening. That's not the sign. That's just the beginning of sorrows. In essence, he's saying, don't worry about that small stuff. It's going to get a lot worse. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's not really. Let me close with this. I believe in the rapture of the church. We're going to get into that, and I don't want to leave this morning without speaking of that real quick. I believe that Noah, what happened with Noah, was real and true. It was a real and true event. There was a real and true worldwide flood that all of mankind perished in that flood except Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. I believe that is absolutely true. Uh, again, it's referred to in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. But I also believe that Noah is a type. He is a type. And just as God lifted Noah and his family from the wrath that he was pouring out on the world, I believe that you and I will be lifted up. If we know Christ as our Savior, I believe that there will come a time when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with the Lord forever. I believe that with all of my heart. When is that going to happen? That can happen anytime, and we don't need any more signs for that. There's no more prophecy that needs to take place for that. And we'll get into that further as we get into this study. And again, Luke doesn't go into it very far. Matthew takes a, a couple of chapters. I don't want to teach Luke by teaching Matthew, but at the same time, I don't want to tread so lightly on this material that we miss some of the very, very important parts of what he's speaking. Right now, the thing that I want to leave you with this morning, beloved darkness loses, guaranteed. And no matter how dark it gets in the world that we live in, remember, Jesus said that you and I are the light of that world. That you and I are to be that city on the hill. That you and I, as the light of the world, we don't put it under a bushel basket. The old children's Sunday school song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Now that's easy to do here. Hey, look at my light. Hey, how's your light? Oh, yeah. Oh, you got a great light. Oh, hey, man, that's a pretty light you got. Did you see my? Yeah, this is, you know, it's great to do here, but are we willing to do it in a place that says, I hate light? I hate the light that you have. I hate light at all. John tells us in his gospel record, John chapter 3, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good deeds and give glory to God. Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.